It's great to be all celebrating Christmas Eve with you all this morning. Today, after the morning service, Sunday School will be meeting in the Fellowship Hall to watch a short video from The Chosen. And tonight at 7 p.m. is the Christmas Eve candlelight service. Wednesday at 9 a.m. is the men and women's breakfast at Shabani's, and 7 p.m. is the weekly prayer meeting. And next, next Sunday, the, 20, the 31st, at 7 p.m. is the New Year's Eve party at the Coram Dio Gym. Thank you to all of those who are sharing their poinsettias with us today. They may be taken home following tonight's Christmas Eve service. Please check the name tag inside in the inside front of the foil wrap. Again, December 31st will be the first New Year's Eve annual party at the Quorum Dio Gym at SCCA. It begins at 7 p.m. Please bring a soda and a food or dessert item to share. Join us as we celebrate 2023 and move into 2024. Remember to check the Christmas mailbox today for your cards. Please try to have your donations in for the Rubens by Sunday, December 31st. Thank you for your generosity. And thank you for all who took part in the Love Thy Neighbor ministry so far. Whether you donated, baked, prepared, or prayed, you have exhibited, exhibited the true spirit of giving. This past week, we delivered cookie trays to Quentin Fire Department, Quentin and LAC school teachers and staff, cocoa cups to all students in Quentin and LAC schools, a cash donation to the fire victim in Pitts Grove, a care basket to the Shelley Thomas, and very, various clothing and products to LAC and Quinton schools. This ministry cannot work without you, the congregation. We're planning many projects for the new year. Please pray for the Lord's leading. Merry Christmas. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Our Father, it is so good to be here this morning to um, be able to fellowship with one another. But more importantly, Father, we pray that as we come this morning, that our minds, our hearts would be attentive towards you, to what your word has for us this morning, Father. Help us to push away all the distractions, but to focus on your word. Help us to apply what is being taught and what we learn from your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Today, we light the angel candle. It focuses on the message of joy, which the angel announced. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The prophet candle, the Bethlehem candle, the shepherd's candle, the angel's candle. And suddenly a multitude of angels praise God, singing glory to God in the highest. Let's sing with the angels. Let's lift our voices together and celebrate our Savior. Please stand. Angels, angels from on high, messengers. 
we have a lot of music up here to go through. <laughs> and we often get mixed up. <laughs>
Lord, we do just praise you that you are the one who came to this earth, that you're the Messiah, the Christ. Lord, we praise you that you are our Lord, that you are the one who saved each one of us. Lord, as we celebrate the holiday season, we remember you coming to this earth. And Lord, we pray that you would be lifted up, you'd be magnified, you'd be praised this morning. Lord, we do just come before you with these prayer requests, Lord, our, our hearts are heavy for the Schwing family, the Pasch of Marion's nephew, as well as the Thomas and Jardim families at the homegoing of Josh. And for my family as well, Lord, as Dana's grandmother passed away this weekend. Lord, we do just pray for comfort for all of these families. We pray that you would surround them with your love, that you would surround them with uh, just encouragement at this time of year especially, that your presence would be with each of the families. Lord, we just pray that your all-surpassing love and grace and mercy would just reign in these situations. And Lord, we do continue to pray for Arlene. Lord, she's begun her chemotherapy, Lord. And, uh, she just uh, she had a little bit of reactions, her first treatment. Lord, we just pray for her. She seeks future treatments that, uh, that they'd be better, Lord. And we pray for healing for her through that. We pray for uh, Tyler, Brandon's uh, cousin, Ellie, Lord. We praise you that she was able to get uh, back to Kentucky, Lord. And we just pray for her. She uh, looks, looks towards treatments, Lord, going forward. Lord, we do just pray for um, Ozzy, Lord, as he was in the hospital with pneumonia, Lord. We do just pray for healing for him. We pray for complete healing for him. Uh, we pray for uh, the Amazing Grace Early Education Center, Lord. We just pray for wisdom for Shelly, Lord, and uh, just a direction uh, for that school, Lord. We ask that you would be the, uh, the provider, that you would be the one who sustains that school, and Lord, that you would bless uh, the school and the work that they're doing uh, for you and uh, for, for the children. Lord, we do uh, just pray for Linda Seitz this morning, Lord. We pray for relief from the pain, Lord. We do just pray that you would uh, just ease the pain that she's going through. Lord, we do pray for Betty Brennan as well, Lord, as she is in the hospital with internal bleeding, Lord. We do just pray that the doctors would figure out exactly what's going on and that they'd be able to take care of it. Uh, we just pray that, um, that she'd still be able to celebrate the holidays, Lord. We do just pray that you would uh, just bless her with that opportunity. Lord, we do just pray for all of us this holiday season, Lord. We pray that there'd be no sickness going around, that uh, people would uh, just feel healthy and comfortable, Lord, this holiday season. We pray that uh, there'd be no sickness. And Lord, we do uh, just pray uh, just for our congregation and our community, Lord. We pray for families uh, this holiday season, Lord. We know that not, uh, not every family is in a great position this holiday season, Lord. We do just pray that you would bless families, that you would encourage families, that you would uphold families. Uh, Lord, we do just pray for marriages, that they would uh, be strengthened, and uh, Lord, that, that they would look to you. We pray that people would look to you, that families would look to you this holiday season. Lord, we do uh, just pray for our upcoming uh, Christmas Eve service tonight, Lord. We do just pray that you would bless that, that you would just uh, have it be a great service, Lord, that your word would go forth, that you would be proclaimed this holiday season. Lord, we just pray that, that would happen tonight. And Lord, we do just pray for, uh, as we look towards the new year, Lord, we pray for uh, the New Year's Eve party that we're going to be having next week. Lord, we do uh, just praise you again for this holiday season, Lord. We pray that you would be lifted up this holiday season, that you would be looked to, Lord, that families, the people, the individuals will look to you this holiday season. We do just pray all these things in your name. Amen.
Abram said to Mary, The angel Gabriel said to Mary, Hail. What does
you, children. That was beautiful. Um, as we sing these next two songs, children who are in first through third are dismissed for Children's Church. Please stand as we sing together.
be seated. One, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5 and then moving to verse 14 through 18. Again, that's John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then 14 through 18. <clears throat> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who himself is God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before your word right now, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would go before me, that you would go before each one of us, that you would teach us something more about you, that you teach us something more about ourselves, and Lord, that you would receive the honor and the glory. pray all these things in your name. Amen. I want to start off with a bit of Christmas trivia for you. This question was asked the college and career at the college and career Christmas party this past Tuesday. It's who were the first people in the Bible to be told about Jesus? Now, your first thought might be, well, the shepherds. The angels told the shepherds right away when Jesus was born. But even before that, you might say, well, Mary and Joseph were told even before the shepherds were. They were told by the angel. And some of you might be thinking, well, all the way back in the Old Testament with the, prophecy, with the prophets, the prophets were told about the coming Messiah that was going to come. But the answer is, before any of that, the first people to be told about Jesus coming was Adam and Eve. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we're told that there was going to be one that was going to come who would crush the serpent's head. It was going to be the seed of the woman. It was going to crush the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise his heel. And that's the first time that we get told about Jesus. So what's the point of this uh, trivia question? The, the point is to show us that the whole Bible is talking about Jesus. Oftentimes at Christmas time, we just go to you know, Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 1 to talk about Jesus. But the whole Bible is actually speaking about Jesus. So what about Exodus? 
The past handful of months, we've been working our way through the book of Exodus, going deeper with God. We've been looking at Moses and him leading the Israelites. And all of this happened uh, like uh, 1,500 years before Jesus was born. What does any of that have to do with Jesus being born? That's what we're going to look at today. We're actually not going to be in Exodus. We're going to be in John chapter 1. I'm mainly going to focus in on one verse, John chapter 1, verse 14. But I want to approach this verse from the perspective that we've been seeing as we've been walking through the book of Exodus. You know, we've been seeing all these themes pop up through Exodus, so we're going to see these same ideas come up here in John chapter 1, verse 14. Now, if you haven't been a part of this series so far, that's not a big deal. You'll figure things out pretty quickly as we go along. You're not missing anything. But I do just want to approach this verse, First uh, John or not First John, John 1, verse 14, we want to approach it from this perspective from Exodus. Now, before we get into the verse, I do just want to back up and give a little bit of context about what's happening with this verse. At the beginning of the book of John, John lays out this prologue for the first 18 verses where he just kind of talks before he gets into any description about Jesus. In fact, he doesn't even mention Jesus' name until verse 17 when the prologue is almost completely done. It's the first time he even mentions Jesus' name. He starts by talking about the Word. Now, just to be clear, the Word is Jesus. But John intentionally keeps that from us until you get to verse 17 because he intentionally wants to, to start building in us this idea of the Word. And what does he mean by the Word? Well, we see it all the way back in verse 1. We get a few things right off the bat about the Word. The first one says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was something that was all the way back at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created and heavens and the earth. And here John says, In the beginning was the Word. When God was creating the universe, the Word was there. And then he gets to the second thing. He says, And the Word was with God. That alongside of God was this Word, and it was some sort of companion of God or some sort of uh, uh, entity that was next to God or person that was next to God. And then we get the big statement, in verse 1, he says the Word was God. You say, wait a second. You just said the Word was somebody who was with God. How can you say the Word was God? The Word is God. What does that even mean? And the answer is that in, within the Trinity. If the Word is Jesus Christ, He is the second person of the Trinity. The Trinity is that the God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That each of these persons are fully, 100% God, but yet there's only one God. And we see that play out here in this verse as this word is described, as Jesus is described as God himself, but also the one who's with God himself. And then you get in verses 2 and 3 this idea that all things get created by the word, that Jesus was involved within creation. So we have this idea that we get built on of the word right off the bat in John chapter 1, that this word is God himself, and somehow with God himself at the same time. And then we take that and we approach John 1.14, where it goes back to this concept of the Word. And there's three things that we're going to look at here in this verse. The first one has to do with God's presence. Now, I was reading a story this week about a four-year-old girl named Grace and she was able to attend a Christmas Eve service, and she was able to sit in with the adults for the very first time. And the pastor 
prays up front. He says, oh Lord, we thank you for your presence. And her eyes dart open. She's like, we're getting presents? That's not exactly the same thing. God's presence means he is with us. We see this right at the beginning. In verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself, the creator of the universe, becomes flesh. Becomes flesh and blood, becomes bone and marrow, becomes human. Now, that word flesh is very intentionally picked by John because, especially in John's day, but we even see some people today who say, well, Jesus didn't really come, or maybe Jesus just appeared to people. Maybe he was some sort of ghost or spirit, one of the ghosts of Christmas past. But that's not what John's trying to say here. John's trying to say, no, he came in the flesh. He was a human. He was flesh and blood just like you and me. The God who, in verse 3, we're told, created all things. All things were made through Him. He stepped into creation and became human. We call this the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's the complicated word that we throw out. But it really just means the God of the universe becoming human. Becoming like you and me. When Martin Luther talks about this, he says, the mystery of the humanity of Christ that He sunk Himself into our flesh is beyond human understanding. There's something profoundly deep about this that we just can't quite understand, that the creator of all things would step into creation. He walked among us. He talked, of, he talked with people. He ate with people. He suffered pain with people. He bled with people. He was with us. The word became flesh. And then it says, and he dwelt among us. Now that word to dwell among, what that word actually means is to set up a tent, to pitch a tent, to hang out with, to spend time with, or that word is also used to set up a tabernacle. And this is where Exodus comes into play, right? And it says, he sent up a tabernacle among us. And when you go back to Exodus and what we've been talking about, when we talked about God's presence even just a few weeks ago, God's presence was found where? In the tabernacle. The tabernacle is where God came to dwell. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, this is what God says. He says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. That God came and dwelled within the tabernacle. We talked a few weeks ago about when Israel sinned, what did God do? He removed his presence. He said, you're not going to build my tabernacle here in your presence. And he sets up a tent outside of camp because his presence is not with them. And then later on, the tabernacle comes and God becomes present with Israel. And for all of Israel's history, God's presence, if they want to find it, they look to a place. They look to the tabernacle. And then eventually they look to the temple, which comes to replace the tabernacle. But this, you, whenever you want to find God, whenever you want to be in God's presence, you look to a location. But here in John, we find that it's no longer a location. If you want God's presence, you look to a person. The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. It says we get to see God. If you look down in verse 18, this is what it says. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. When we see Jesus Christ, when we see the Word made flesh, we get to see God. He, God is invisible. No one has ever seen him besides a few times that God has revealed himself to individuals. But here, 
God becomes able to be seen because God becomes flesh. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says it like this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That God who we can't see, who's invisible, becomes visible in Jesus Christ. In the song, Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know, Mark Lowry sings these very intentional words. He says, to, when he's talking to Mary, he says, when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. God becomes physical. God becomes tangible when he steps into this world. Now, that is crazy. That's not something that we should be able to even remotely understand because he's the one who created everything. He's the one who's so high above us and yet he stepped into our, our world. He dwelt among us. In Matthew chapter 1, Jesus is given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We actually mentioned this just a few weeks ago. And what, what we mean by that is that God is not some far-off thing. He comes and he is with us. So why does that matter to us this morning? I want to ask you a question in for some of you, this may strike home. For some of you, it may not. But when you talk about going home for the holidays, and that's something that we talk about a lot in today's world, I'll be home for Christmas. We want to go home for the holidays. We, we love this idea of being with our family. You know, there's something about being present with each other that is special. That's not something that some video call is going to be able to accomplish. There's something special about being present with each other being present with family. But you know, for some of us, that comes with a little bit of a bittersweetness, doesn't it? Some of us have families that are broken, families that are struggling. Maybe you lost somebody this past year, and this is your first holiday season without somebody. And it's difficult, and it's painful. And there's some bittersweetness to your holiday season because home doesn't necessarily feel like home this holiday. And if that's where you're at, I want to tell you that we have a home. And that home is Jesus. That home is God who became flesh, who dwelt among us. We have his presence. Now that may not always feel the greatest because you don't get to see or touch him the way that Jesus did when he was a baby. But we still have his presence that goes with us, that we can have a home with God this holiday. So I don't know where you're at this holiday season. Maybe you're looking forward to your family. Maybe there's a little bit of a bittersweetness with your family. But this holiday season, no matter where you're at, God is your home. God's presence is with us. He's the one who comforts us. He's the one who surrounds us with his love, his grace, his compassion. And we can find a home in him. Second thing that we see here. In this passage, John chapter 1, verse 14, as we see God's glory. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now, just last week, we were talking about God's glory. Moses went up onto the mountain. He said, Lord, show me your glory. And God says, you can't see all of my glory. I'm way too glorious. I'm so high above you. There's no way that you can actually see my glory, but I'll, I'll give you a taste of it. So he brings him up to the mountain. He puts him in the cleft of the rock. He covers him with his hand, and the Lord passes by. And what happens? The Lord declares his name. And we talked about God's glory displayed through his name last week. And then Moses bows down 
and worship. And, you know, we talked a lot about glory last week. Glory is fame or recognition or honor. We talked about it as weightiness, as heaviness, that when he's present, you feel his presence. And we looked at different examples of God's glory, the stars above us, the Grand Canyon, the Niagara Falls, the beautiful mountain ranges, and there's so many great displays of God's glory. But there's another one, and that's Jesus Christ. He shows God's glory. He says, we have seen his glory. When you look at Jesus, when we look at the manger scene, we see God's glory. Glory. Now, it's very important that he says this is the same glory as of the Father. This is back to the idea of the Trinity, that the Word and the Father are the same thing, that when you see Jesus, you see God's glory on display. It's the same glory. This is not some separate glory. This is the same glory that shook the mountain back in Exodus, that God said, you cannot see to Moses. He said, you cannot see my glory and live And that glory gets put on display in a baby. It becomes visible through Jesus, and it takes the form of a baby laying in a manger. This is the ultimate display of humility, that the glory of God gets put in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem in a baby boy. And it's not like it's proclaimed to everyone. It's not like there's this huge announcement that goes out. Some shepherds are told about it. And that's all that we get. You would think that the appropriate response to glory, what we talked about last week, the appropriate response to glory is worship. And you would think there'd be so many people lining the streets to worship this baby boy. But we don't get that. We get some shepherds that come to worship. A little later, we get some wise men that come to worship him. Even as Jesus grows up, he often gets dismissed by those around him. He said, he's the carpenter's son. He's Joseph's son. He gets dismissed so casually. God's glory, instead of getting worshipped, gets dismissed. Except for the angels. What do the angels say? They sing glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men on whom his favor rests. The angels are quick to talk about the baby's glory. Because that's what Jesus deserves. It's all the honor and the glory. And then he grows up into a man. And we get to see Jesus' glory played out as he's an adult. We get to see his glory played out in miracles. In fact, in just the very next chapter, in John chapter 2, verse 11, right after Jesus does his very first miracle, changing water into wine. This is what it says. It says, This, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed him. That Jesus' miracles that he performed was a display of his glory. As he changed water into wine, as he walked on water, as he calmed the storm, as he fed the 5,000, as he healed the sick and the injured, he was displaying God's glory. When he raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, before he even raises Lazarus from the dead in John 11 verse 4, this is, he says that this is to be done to display the glory of God. That Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is a display of glory. That when we w- read these pages of the Gospels, when Jesus does these miracles, he is displaying glory. 
But you know, his glory isn't just in the miracles. It's in how he interacts with those around him, how he loves people, how he forgives people, how he sees into the hearts of people, how he speaks with the way that amazes everyone around him because he speaks with such wisdom. We see that glory poured out in Jesus' life. And then you get to the transfiguration. And it's a moment where Jesus takes three of his disciples up on a mountain and he unveils his complete glory and he shows them his glory. And they are amazed and in awe in what they see. And then Jesus does one last thing to display his glory. He goes to the cross and he dies. He pays the penalty for his sin and then three days later, he rises again. And what's interesting is in John chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus says, as he talks about his death and resurrection, he says, this is the moment the Son of Man is glorified. This is it. This is the glory moment. Him going to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and then rising again three days later. That is supposed to be something that is glorifying God. That's not something that we would normally think, oh, that's going to glorify God, but that's what it does do. It brings people to himself. It brings people in worship to him. It glorifies his name. The word becomes flesh and we get to see God's glory put on display in a life, in the death, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what do we do with God's glory this, this morning? Last week we talked about the only appropriate response to God's glory is worship. And it's the same thing that we could say about Jesus. The only response that we should have to Jesus as we come before this Christmas story, as we see this baby in a manger, is worship. Just like the angels sing glory to God in the highest, we should be pushing towards worship. In fact, four of our songs that we sang this morning, all, four of them have to do with angels, and all four of them bring up glory. In the first song, angels sing Gloria. In the second song, uh, I'm not going to sing it, but it's Gloria in Excelsis Dei. It's all about glory. Angels from the realms of glory. We're going to close out this service with Hark the Herald Angels Sing Glory to the Newborn King. It's all about God's glory. That's what worship is about. Is that our hearts this morning? Is that where we're at this morning? Is our world so distracted around the Christmas season that we fail to give Christ the glory that he deserves? Oftentimes we can get very busy around the holidays with shopping, with plants, with the family, with different activities that we're doing with friends. and It can get so overwhelming and busy that we sometimes forget the meaning of it all. The Word becomes flesh and that we get to behold God's glory in a manger. So let's worship Christ this morning. Let's worship Christ this evening. Let's worship Christ tomorrow. Let's make Christmas the way it's supposed to be about God's glory, and to worship him for that. That brings us to the third thing that we see here in this verse, and that's God's covenant. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 16, it says, For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
All of a sudden, Moses gets brought up again. I don't know why this passage keeps bringing up Moses, but Exodus does seem to have something to say about this. It says, the covenant that God, that God made with Israel with Moses was based on the law. We've spent a lot of time talking about the covenant that God has with Israel. That's about a relationship. It's all about God making a relationship with his people. And within that relationship, there were rules. There were the Ten Commandments that were given. There were laws that were supposed to be upheld. And we saw so quickly, as soon as God set up this covenant, Israel sins against God. And then God has to reestablish this covenant. Last week we talked about the fact that Moses had to take new tablets up and get the covenant rewritten. And this law becomes the centerpiece of the covenant that God makes with Israel. And you know, the law is glorious, it's beautiful, but it's ultimately limited. Now I need to be very clear, it is not limited by God. God is limitless. But the law is limited by us, by man, by the Israelites. A quick example for you, imagine that you wanted to make a homemade Christmas gift. Maybe it was going to be like a Christmas ornament or something like that. And you spent all this time, you spent hours and hours and hours, you know, being very careful with drawing up designs, uh, get, getting the right paint together, doing all the work to assemble this beautiful, perfect little ornament. And it was going to be a Christmas gift that you were going to give, and you were so proud of it. And then you gave the Christmas gift, but you gave the Christmas gift to a three-year-old. What's going to happen to that ornament? I've got, I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I can tell you very quickly what's going to happen with that ornament. It's going to be destroyed. And it's not because the ornament was bad. It's not because the person who made the ornament did a bad job. It's because it was put in the hands of a three-year-old. And the law, in many ways, was put in the hands of three-year-olds. Maybe not actual three-year-olds. It was put in the hands of Israelites who were sinful people. He broke the law almost as soon as they were given it. But if we're honest for a second, we have to admit that we would do the same thing. That each one of us fails the law. James 2.10, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all of it. We all have sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each one of us fails the law. Each one of us sins so we need something else. The law wasn't enough because we failed it. So what does God do? He creates a new covenant full of grace and truth. Jesus comes. He brings us our salvation. Jesus comes to the earth. He keeps the law perfectly. He goes to the cross to die, to pay the penalty for our sin. So that we, if we believe in him, we can have our sin forgiven. We can have a new relationship with God forever. John 3.16 says it like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That Jesus came in this, to this world to save us. He came full of grace and truth. Salvation is a message of grace. It's about us getting what we don't deserve. We talked last week about grace. Grace is all about getting what we don't deserve. And each one of us, if we're honest because of our sin, we know that we deserve separation from God. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of our sin is death. But we get something that we don't deserve. We get grace. 
The second half says, but the, of, of Romans 6.23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That through Christ, we're given grace. We're given salvation. Not because we deserve it, but because He is a gracious God. He's grace upon grace. And when we fully realize how sinful of people we are, that's when we can fully realize how great of grace God has shown us to forgive us our sins if we just believe in Him. And then he also says it's full of grace and truth. The second word he uses is truth. In John chapter 8, verse 32, it says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, this world is full of lies. It's full of things that are fake, full of things that aren't true. And even things that we, you know, we've accepted that they're not true. Things like movies. There have been some great movies that have come out this past year. Avatar, uh, Barbie came out this past year. There's a handful of good movies that have come out this past year. But the fact of the matter is, all of those movies are all lies. They're all fake. They're all things that aren't true. Those people didn't actually do those things. And, you know, we accept that. You know, we're cool with that. That's fine. That's completely something that we understand. But here's a true story that Jesus came to save us. That is the truth of the situation. And Jesus says, if you believe in me, that the truth will set you free. This isn't just some fake story that we make up or that we come up with every Christmas season. It's truth. It's factual. It's something historic. It's something that actually happened. That Jesus came to this world to save us from our sins. And through grace and truth, we can have salvation if we believe in God. There was something I read this week that said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. That's what this is all about, that we needed forgiveness from our sins. We needed a right relationship with God. And that's what Christmas is all about, that the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us, that we behold His glory, and that we believe in Him for the salvation of our sins. You know, when we come before the Christmas story, it's a story about God's presence with us. Emmanuel, God with us. It's a story about God's glory being put on display. Glory to God in the highest. It's a story about His grace being poured out on each one of us. And those are the things that matter. Those are the things that last. Now at some point over this holiday season, you will probably get a gift. Maybe something's under your tree for tomorrow. That's going to be a gift for you. But here's the simple fact about all the gifts that we're going to receive that are come under a tree. They're all going to break at some point in time. They're all going to fade away at some point in time. They're all not going to last. But these are the gifts that last. God's presence. God's glory. God's grace. That's the stuff that's going to last. That's the stuff that's going to make a difference 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 
a thousand years from now. Those are the things that matter. So this holiday season, let's focus on that stuff. Let's focus on God's presence, on God's glory, and on God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you just for the beauty of this Christmas story. That you came to earth, that you became flesh and dwelt among us. That you were present with us. That you walked among us. Lord, that we got to behold the glory of the Almighty, the glory of the creator of the universe as we watched you. And Lord, you then went to the cross to die for us. To place your, to take all of our sins on yourself and to rise again three days later. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has not put their faith in you for salvation from their sins, Lord, I pray that this would be the moment. If anyone here doesn't, has not placed their faith in you, I pray that this would be the time that they realize the meaning of Christmas is about our salvation. If there's anyone here this morning who hasn't placed their faith in God but wants to, I would encourage you to just pray to God. You can pray something like this. You can pray, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I failed you. But Lord, because of your love for me, you sent your son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And Lord, I believe in that. I believe in the truth. And I believe that you rose again three days later so that you could take away my sin and I could have eternal life with you. Please forgive my sins. Give me life with you. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I would love to talk with you afterwards. And Lord, I pray that we would be looking to you this Christmas, that this holiday season would be about your honor, your glory, and your praise. We pray that we would have hearts of worship for you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, like the angels, let's give God glory through song. Please stand.
Thank you for coming out this morning. I, again, just want to remind you, we have a service this evening. The candlelight service is a great time. A lot of great music, a lot of great fellowship with each other, and another chance to worship our Savior. And maybe this morning, something I said was confusing to you, or you really need someone to talk to, or something really laid on your heart, and you really need to talk with somebody this morning. We're going to have people up front who would love to talk with you, to pray with you, to encourage you this morning. And Lord, as we go out this morning, we pray that you would receive all the honor and the glory this Christmas, that this Christmas wouldn't be caught up in the commercialism, but this Christmas would be focused on you, that the glory would be to your name. We pray these things in your name. Amen.